0: It's so good to be here in church on this long weekend and uh, I thought we'd take the opportunity seeing as we're a bit more of an intimate group today to do something a little different. That's That's coming up soon. It involves this board that you've probably seen over here. We're going to have lots of fun. So last week, Pastor Chris talked about the importance of hope and faith in our day-to-day lives, about exercising our faith beyond the crisis moments, who hears that, and moving into a mature faith that perseveres in everyday life and the role that prayer plays in this. And like prayer reading the word of God is a rhythm that Jesus followers devote themselves to and we can see this in Acts chapter 2 where it says uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer you know it was all a part of their rhythm of life the word of God as we know is alive and active Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints of marrow and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Pretty powerful. It's living, it's active, it's discerning, it's empowering, it's wisdom giving, and it is the sustenance of a Jesus follower. Like God gave the Israelites fresh manna each day in the wilderness. It wasn't meant for the next day. It was just meant for that day. God gives us our daily bread. From, and that's a reference um, from the Lord's Prayer. And it's not just provision for physical things, but provision of his word fresh every day. I love where Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. We have to run our race with a bit of discipline. Run our race, run our journey, journey with Jesus with a little bit of discipline. So let's take this opportunity that spring provides us a season, a time to refresh, to restart habits that may have gone into survival mode or hibernation over the winter. Who hears that? I am far from perfect and I am owning up to that. And we can start to look at ways to devote ourselves to the reading of God's word every day. You know, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 we heard this a lot with Brendan and it says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know what God's will is for you which is good and pleasing and perfect and this kind of faith this kind of wisdom comes by hearing the word of God, Romans ten, seventeen. Consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. You know, whether it is we're here together gathered in a church service, we're listening to the word being spoken. We're at dinner party when someone's sharing. You know, we may be getting together with a friend and and sharing the word. We may be opening up our Bible app every day. We may be using devotionals or podcasts. You know, that all have their place in bringing the word of God into our lives every day. And today I want to share with you one of my favorite ways of studying or meditating on the word And it's by getting messy and pulling it apart. And like I said, I'm not perfect at this. And I have to admit my habits have been in hibernation for a while. We've had a few crisis moments in our family. And I want us to stir one another up today, encourage one another and dive into God's word afresh in this new season. And I've chosen a portion of scripture that also encourages us to dwell in the word of God. So we've got double whammy, where we'll be studying scripture that tells us the benefits of studying scripture. So excellent, aren't we good? And it is Psalm 1, it's one of my favorite passages. Okay, all right, I reckon Elise, let's get ready. She's like spring into action. We're gonna, we're gonna get the board out. Yeah, perfect. We're going to set this apart over here. All right. This is Psalm 1. I hope it's okay. Like I said, we're a more intimate group today and we can, we can do this. We can give this and have some fun with it. So Psalm 1, starting from verse 1 and we're going to the verse 3. Blessed is the man who does not Beautiful piece of scripture, paints the most amazing picture. And I don't know about you, but I love to pray before I dive into the word. So let's do that together right now. Let's invite God into this time for him to speak to us. So we say thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for speaking to your people so that we can have your wisdom in our hands today. And every day. Thank you that is alive, that is effective, and it is true. Today, as we study your word, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us. We commit this time to you and ask you to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get a text up. This is really exciting. So the next thing I might look at is the context of the scripture. Okay, so what book is it in? You know, who wrote it? Why is it in the Bible? What scripture comes before and after? So here is where you might dig up a commentary. There's heaps online. There's even free ones. Um, Or you might go to a resource like the Bible Project, which I love because these guys are theologians. They've put all the study in. It's basically like a commentary in video podcast, written form, and it's so good. Um, so let's, let's, I think we've got time. Are we good? Let's, let's watch. This is a five-minute video just on the, like an overview of Psalms, but it gives us a great picture into Psalm 1. So let's, so let's watch that together.
1: We've been talking about poetry in the Bible. Our biblical poets love the and masterfully use metaphor and symbolism. These poems invite
2: us into an experience to ponder ideas slowly and from many angles. And the largest collection of poetry in the Bible is the book of Psalms. So that's what we're going to look at here.
1: Now, the Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history.
2: Yeah, poems were written by Israelites, sages, kings, and prophets. Some poems were sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. And over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on special occasions. They're not familiar with books of poetry, a large collection,
1: the greatest poems in one place that I can read through and pick my favorites. But the Book of Psalms isn't
2: that kind of collection. Here, each poem has been expertly crafted and then placed where it is for a reason to create a storyline from the book's beginning to its end. Mm. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story and they invite you into a literary temple. A literary temple. Yeah, so the tabernacle and then later the temple in Jerusalem were where ancient Israelites went to meet with God. When you arrived, you would see art and imagery everywhere. You'd see priests performing rituals. You'd hear songs and prayers. All of it symbolically proclaiming that your God rules the world from this mountain and you're in his living room.
1: So the temple was a place to be in God's presence and also to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom.
2: Exactly. And so try to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, plundered and burned the temple, and then took many Israelites into exile.
1: Yeah, where can they go now to meet with God, to sing their story
2: and say their prayers? That's where the book of Psalms comes in. It's a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. Cool, but how does the Psalms do it? Let's start with the book's design. There are 150 poems broken up into five clear sections. At the beginning, there's been placed a short introduction, Psalms 1 and 2, which lay out the main themes of the whole book by reviewing the biblical storyline. Okay. Psalm 1 looks back to the Garden of Eden and its river of life.
1: Yeah, God placed humanity in a garden temple.
2: And here, humans
1: decide to define good and evil on their own terms, and so are exiled
2: from the garden. But the first psalm paints a portrait of hope about an upright human who delights in God's wisdom, which is called Torah or instruction. This person is like the tree of life in the garden temple. They eternally blossom because they're planted in the river of God's life. Yeah, that's
1: beautiful, but who's
2: it supposed to be? Well, remember that story in Genesis after humanity's foolish rebellion, God made a promise. Oh right, a future human, the seed of the woman who would come and defeat evil and restore the world. And that's what Psalm 2 is about. God's promise that a king would come from the line of David. He's called the Son of God and the Messiah. God appoints him to bring justice on human evil and to restore God's kingdom and peace over the nations. So Psalms 1 and 2 introduce all these main themes. Yes, and then the book develops those themes through the five sections. The first two explore the complicated story of David and his royal family. The third section focuses on the tragedy of Israel's exile and the downfall of David's royal line. But then the fourth and fifth sections rekindle the hope for the Messiah, a new temple, and God's kingdom on the other side of the exile. Then the book ends with a five-part conclusion praising God for his faithfulness.
1: Cool. Now, nearly half of the Psalms are connected to one guy, King David, who God chose to rule Israel.
2: Yes, David's story is really important in this book. He experienced many times of hardship, but he trusted God with radical faith. And in these poems, David shares his fears, confesses his failures, and offers thanks to his Redeemer. And he's constantly speaking of a deep longing to be in God's presence in the temple. But wait, David lived before the temple was even built. Exactly. This portrait of David, hoping and praying for God's kingdom and a future temple, It resembles the hopes of the later generations of the exiles. And so, David's prayers could become theirs as well. David's like a prayer coach, giving us words for how to pray and how to discover God's
1: presence in good times and bad.
2: Exactly. There are 73 poems connected to David, but most of the rest come from later generations of biblical poets. And they have learned to pray and hope like David. And so, the end result is the book of Psalms designed as a virtual temple for all generations of God's people. This isn't a kind of book you just read once and put down. No, it's designed for a lifetime of slow re-reading and reflection. These prayers and laments and songs of praise are meant to become our own. They're poems for exiles who are learning to live by God's wisdom and to seek God's justice in the world as they hope for the coming Messiah and the kingdom of God.
0: Turn me back on. How good is that? That gave us heaps of information. So we can see that the Psalms are a book of poetry. Good to know, right? So we've got, and, and it's like split up into five books. So this is one of five. And, book oh, here. Yeah. Oh, sorry. There they go. I knew I was going to do that. All right. Thanks, Elise. We'll give her a round of applause at the end. Um, and it's a book that is meant to be read and reread, absorbed. It is like a virtual temple, a place where we can enter into the presence of God. How good is that? God's presence. Beautiful. And we also learned they gave us a lot of information about this, uh, this chapter, these verses in particular, because we learned that although most of this part of Psalms was written by David, the first two Psalms sit by themselves. So this one is actually anonymous. We don't know who wrote it, but we do know it paints a picture of the Garden of Eden. So there we go. We've got the garden as a theme. We start at the beginning and we're going to see this imagery the whole way through. So good. So it's an expertly crafted book of poetry, placed to tell the story of God's word. It is a prayer book that helps us enter God's presence as we pray and hope for the future of Christ's return. Okay, beautiful. So that I think that video answers like all those questions we posed, except for what follows. There's another three verses, and it goes, uh, verses four to six, and it goes, the the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor in the nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the Godly, ungodly shall perish. So it paints two pictures. You can see, it paints one kind of person. what happens? what happens to the other kind of person. Next, I might read it in like a couple of different translations. So this is New King James. Good old Jimmy. But I love, I love NIV, I love NLT, Amplified Version, The Message, ESV. They're all great translations and I love uh, reading a different wording. And it can expand our understanding of what the author of the scripture is trying to convey. And this might be controversial, but let's read it in the message. How well God must like you. You don't walk in the ruts of those blind as bats. You don't stand with the good for nothings. You don't take the seat among the know-it-alls. Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on the scripture day and night. You're a tree planted in Eden, bearing a fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in season. Oh, sorry, always in blossom. So I love how it references Eden. And from our earlier research, we know that that's true and correct. That is the picture that the author is trying to to convey. All right, and next, this is the part where we can get messy. And Ash, can I borrow your Bible for a sec? I didn't bring mine. So this is where we can go like line by line and like pick out significant phrases or words, or they may trigger thoughts, well, you know, words to look up meanings, images, other Bible verses, and can do something like Ash has done here. Your Bible is a great place to get messy with this. Oh, sorry, I, lo- I lost her. A- I has multiple books, and I lost her place. So, you know, you could do this on a whiteboard at home. You could do it in a journal, but you can just do it in your Bible. It's meant to get messy. Sorry, I lost your place with the other one. Ash. Okay. So blessed here. Let's... Oh. Pretty colours. I got Mason to go get some pretty colours. So blessed is the will. Blessed. Blessed is the will for all of God's people. And we start here. This is God's intention. Sorry, I don't use this microphone very often, and there's good reasons for that. So blessed is the man. So right up front, God is the writer is telling us what God intends for us as humans. And it makes me think of the Beatitudes. Oh, how do I spell that? Is it two T's up front? Yeah. all right. my spit. You love me, Jesus loves me. We're so forgiven. And, and in the Beatitudes, and that's in Matthew chapter 5 of Got the reference right, haven't I? Where Jesus outlines who is blessed in God's kingdom. So you might go on a tangent and go and read the Beatitudes. And the verse tells us the pathway to blessing by not doing things. Isn't it interesting that the author is telling us what not to do before what to do. So we've got, we've got not and we've got nor tells us what not to do. So, like, if we think about it, we go, okay, so eliminating the negative things, things that others are doing that may be acceptable, but not the will of God for our lives, will lead us to a path of blessing. And it's interesting, we go from walking to standing to sitting. And I feel like... That's a bit of a journey, isn't it? Walking to standing to sitting. So maybe it's about our choices slowly shaping us over time, going from one thing to the next, slowly getting stuck. Here, ungodly, sometimes it's written as wicked. That's not a good word, is it? Sometimes, oh yeah, we've got sinner, that's, that's pretty, yeah. And, and we've got, sometimes this says, translated as mocker. not good, not good. So our choices slowly shape us over time. You know, the wicked or the ungodly is talking about being morally backward, right? We think of that. And may you know, and sin. What do we know about sin? Sin is missing the target, right? Jesus boils it down to two commandments: love God and love one another. So we're sinning when we miss that target. And a mocker is someone who is jaded, right? You think of someone who mocks, is jaded. They show contempt for anything that's not like them. And as believers, we need to be careful that. Our relationships, our conversations, our decisions are not in line with those who are not devoted to Jesus. How crazy is that? We've just got that from, from one verse. We are blessed when we make choices that are not. But when are we blessed? Okay, there's a huge but. Huge but. We love, I like Well, that's probably, that's probably very wrong to go there, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates day and night. So we are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. What are we to do? Where does the blessed person position himself? He delights in the law of the Lord. So what does delight mean to you? You might look that up, you might think, gosh, what does it mean to me? To me, it means like a consuming joy, like a totally fulfilling love for something. You know, and, I, and I go, okay, so there's always a but in our lives, a choice to choose God's ways. There's a choice choice and this is consuming might scribble those words the person who chooses to delight in the word of god cannot also delight in the ways of the world that person will either hate one and love the other so how do we make that decision The way the person delights or consumes themselves with the word of God is by meditating on it day and night. What does that mean? Always. Always. We're always. Always thinking of it. Isn't that awesome? And to be honest, the only time I'd think of something day and night is something I'm delighted in. Right? Right? And it's really cool that the two lines are kind of symmetrical his delight our delight, his her delight is in the law, and on on his law he meditates so it's, and and one commentary I read said it's like it could also be like an infinity. This is getting a bit interesting. his delight is he meditates the law. So it kind of, isn't that cool? So it's basically saying, I meditate what I delight in, and the more I meditate, the more I delight. <sighs> and meditate, hey, that's, that's an important word, right? That's why we might go, okay, what's that in Hebrew? Because this, this is the Old Testament, so that was probably important wasn't it so we're in the old testament so we're probably looking at hebrew right and so i look that up and if we look it up it is the word hagar is that how i say it okay <laughs> which means quietly reciting the words of scripture aloud or in your mind as a way to focus your attention so that these words become part of you So that's what meditate means. It's not the Eastern meditation where you're emptying your mind. The meditation that God initiated from the beginning of time is for us to replace our thoughts with his thoughts and to think on it constantly. And this is the kind of meditation that leads to a life of blessing. How good is that? I love this. Pastor Phil Pringle says this to meditate is to repeat the scripture to yourself in your mind or in your mouth until it travels as revelation, as faith, as light into your spirit. So it is, it is you know, constantly drawing our mind back to the word, not to the gossip we heard, not to the world news. Or problems going around or preaching to myself. What do I delight in? God's word. Wisdom, faith, understanding. So good. And then we go to verse three, which is so beautiful. This is what paints the picture. It's beautiful. He shall be oh, like a tree. My spatial awareness, since I've had three children, is down to basically zero. You have to, like, it's got to the point where my kids put their hand on top of my head, so I do not hit my head, like, when I'm getting something. They're, like, bend down, like, mum. And, like, Toby and Lucy have bunks at the moment, so Lucy's continually putting her hand on my head. I'm like, I ducking to say goodnight, then come out, just put her hand on my head. It's so sweet. So this is the illustration of a person who chooses to delight in the word of God. So it's great. We're told to do it, but then we're told what it looks like and it brings us back to Genesis 1. We're back in the garden of Eden. Tree, rivers of water, fruit, prosperity It's beautiful. And that person is like a tree planted, roots going down deep, they're not in a pot, they're not a pot plant, right they're They're, they're soaking in the source of life, soaking in God's word all the time, right? And the roots are unseen I mean. For the most part, in Australia, we've got examples of these, you know, incredible gum trees, and you often see roots above the surface. Or when the water drops on the river, you see the the roots, but they go down even deeper than that. In Matthew six, you know, it makes me think of when Jesus, not long after this, actually, he's talking about the religious people of the time, and they're doing all these things to be seen, to be good. Whereas Jesus revolutionizes it and says, hey, it's much, it's much more than that. It's about what you do in the hidden, in the unseen, underneath the surface. God is more concerned with our heart. So instead of planting ourselves in a way that leads to death and destruction with the mockers and the sinners and the wicked, we are planting ourselves in a way that brings life through meditating on God's instruction. And we see the tree, streams of living water, abundant fruit, undying leaves. And that, like I said, that is the imagery of the Garden of Eden. Streams of living, like in some straight uh, translations it uses living water. And that makes me think of when Jesus speaks of streams of living water, which is uh, referring to the Holy Spirit. And that's in, in uh, John chapter 7. So you go, might go, hey, I'm going to segue into John chapter 7. Have a look at that. Two, um, I will say, love the fruit in season. What does that make us think of? Galatians. where Paul talks about if you're living in the spirit, if you're consumed with God, then certain fruits will appear. The believer produces fruit and the leaf shall not wither. I love this. That makes me think of eternal life in God. Amazing. And whatever that This person who meditates on God's word, he'll prosper. He'll be successful. This is the successful life, meditating on God's word. An abundant life for that person and the people around them. Isn't it good? This is what a tree of life, a person who meditates on God's word all the time, looks like. This is an image I saw on Instagram. I don't know if we can. I think it paints the picture beautifully. And it makes me think of Colossians 2 and verse 7. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Beautiful. Beautiful. This whole thing—it's that verse in Colossians—the the, the roots—and then we go back to our reading of the after. We've got that that picture of the person in comparison is like an empty husk of wheat that just blows away. You know. This passage is all between, about choosing between two ways of living. And the pathway to life is by choosing to live in God's word. Isn't it amazing? We got all that from three verses. You could, we could just choose one and chew on it all day. You know, I know people, I know Barry. Barry used to stick, I don't know if he does it anymore, but he used to have post-it notes of verses, like his verse of the day, and he put it on his dash, Jess is nodding, of his delivery van, and he would look at it all day and chew on it, meditate. Uh, He changes the cover on his phone now, so every time he opens his phone, it's there, how good is that? I know people who stick it around their mirror. It's so good. Chewing on the word. Meditating on it day and night. So the way to live a good, successful life is by trusting in the word of God. By choosing to meditate on it day and night, we are choosing to fill our thoughts with the truth of God's word and not the words of the wicked, mockers and sinners. What's that? It's the ways of the world. Hey gosh, we are human. We are not perfect. But God says, replace that With this. By planting ourselves along that river of living water, I just love that imagery, we are planting our hope in God. And no matter the season, you know, seasons of joy, times of perseverance, the crisis moments, the person rooted in Jesus produces fruit. Continuing to place our faith in God and believing His word is living a blessed successful life and i hope i hope this has encouraged you with all my stumbling around and my my scribbles to open your bible again whether it was just yesterday that you did or it's been a while there's no condemnation in christ this stuff isn't dependent on our salvation. But you know what? God loves us too much to let us stay the same. He wants us to live a blessed life. Isn't that good, Joel? Can I have you up on on, on the tinkleys, on the ivories? So why don't we stand for a minute and let's just respond to this and just soak for a minute and pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And this is what you can do at the end of your prayer time. You just say, Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for what you have revealed to me today. Thank you that you are a good God who gives good gifts to his children. Lord, give me the strength and the wisdom to put what I've learned from your word today into practice. Lord, help me to persevere. Thank you for the fresh hope you've planted in my heart today, God. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to try and squeeze out the fruit. we just planted by the rivers of living water. And we trust you, God, that you will produce fruit in season. And most of all, we thank you, Lord, that this abundant life you have given us, causes other people to see you, to want to know you, and to love you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are so good. this has stirred anything in you today and you want prayer for anything at all there'll be a couple of people up the front after the service who would love to pray with you thank you lord thank you god lord god i pray for these incredible people here today Who have come to fellowship have come to hear your word sake here lord for fresh hope in our hearts you encourage us here today and we go from this place feeling a little more loved a little refreshed a little reinvigorated inspired to meditate on your word in jesus name amen